At a time when many of life's little luxuries have been taken away, or at least put on hold, our sponsor Ole is here to ensure we can all still indulge in some of the finer things in life. I am in love with their retinol collection. I have tried all the creams, lads. And I mean all of them. And this makes my skin feel incredible. Really glowy, really strong, really bright, which in winter is a tricksy old thing. With Ole, I can face anything. Seriously, anything. And there's a lot going on. Let's be honest. David Attenborough singing Eurovision songs at full throttle and a rich bitch blow dry. There are a million things I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for? I'm grateful for every gig that I've died at. <laughs> I'm not, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't grateful at the time, but afterwards you go, oh, I see where I went wrong there. And, I, or, and, and sometimes it's, I went wrong in that I shouldn't have said yes to that gig. I'm Angela Scanlon and welcome back to Series 3 of Thanks A Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude list to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Comedian Joe Lies, it needs no introduction, but, you know, otherwise I'm a bit redundant for this particular section, so I'm going to do it anyway. Joe is one of the country's best loved stand-ups enjoying sell-out tours. He's got a knack for naming a show, I'll give him that. His first one, Some Lice It Hot. See what he did there? If Joe Lice It, then you should have put a ring on it. Also genius. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, Joe Lice It, uh-huh, uh-huh. And his most recent one, the biggest one to date. I'm about to lose control and I think Joe Lice It. He's also on 8 out of 10 Cats a lot where he complains relentlessly in the most obnoxiously polite way. He is the current host of the Great British Sewing Bee. He's also taken over as the presenter of Travelman. And he's got his own show, a consumer affairs comedy show or a comedy consumer affairs show, depending on what you read. And it's called Joe Lies, It's Got Your Back and it is bloody brilliant. He's written a self-help book called Parsnips Buttered. And he's quite a keen artist himself. We talk about that a little bit too. And his artwork, just because, you know, he's an underachiever, was accepted into the 2018 Royal Academy Summer Exhibition. Okay, before we get into the episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has been in touch asking when Series 3 is coming out, um, suggesting guests for it, many of whom we have managed to pin down, but also for keeping on with your thanks a million trios, the three things that make you grateful on any given day. And podcast originally launched kind of accidentally in purpose during lockdown last time and I think it really resonated with people in in a way that I didn't imagine or that it certainly hadn't in series one and I love that you're still doing thanks a million trios so I'm going to share a couple of them. Ian, his trio, your smile, your optimism, your toes, need to wear socks more often. Kellen in Cornwall, sunshine, blue skies and mermaid pool swimming with friends. That sounds absolutely glorious. This is classic hibernation, electric blankets, cheese toasties and brightly coloured clothing. If that's not an antidote to the current situation, then I don't know what is. Do get in touch with them on Instagram at Angela Scanlon. That's where you'll find me. Hashtag thanks a million trio. If you can be arsed with a hashtag. If you get in touch with me, I will include them. 
we cover a lot of ground in this episode and we go off on multiple tangents. I mean, there's there's chat about stopping during lockdown, the importance of taking actual breaks and looking after yourself, which for a touring comic is is quite a challenge. Remaining creative, it's quite a list of bits and pieces that Joe has been delving into. Accepting death, approaching it scientifically and his love for writer Alan Watts. Alan gets a number of shout-outs, be warned. We also get into a bit of quantum physics. And also, the random gifts that he has got from quite a plethora of celebrity pals. Hello. <laughs> How are we? Uh, hiya. You look cute. Can you see my black eye? Well, I was going to say you look cute slash have you got a shiner? Yeah, I've got myself a little shiner. How'd you get that? I went to the gym having not been right. to the gym for many months. Okay. And I realised I hadn't eaten for 18 hours. Because I, I ate at like six o'clock, but I had like a burger and chips and like loads of food. So I felt really full. Went to bed, woke up, potted about a bit, and then went to the gym about midday. And then did about 20 minutes of weights. And then just had a little lie down, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically blacked out and smashed my head on the ground. <laughs> Oh, I mean, on the upside, you're looking very trim. Well, that's it. I feel like I look fit. You I do feel look like fit and like a bit hard. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I feel like a big hard man. I feel Ooh. like a, a, a big, strong boy. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you so much for being on Thanks A Million. So we'll crack on to the first question, which is what are you thankful for today, apart from your beer and your shiner? Well, this is, I think at the minute I'm really thankful for this little breathing space that uh, I, I had in lockdown as well. But um, I've got now a few weeks where I've got a few jobs here and there and doing podcasts and whatever. But essentially my time is my own. And before lockdown, I realised I hadn't really had that for years, having like a block of time where I just go, oh, what do I want to do today? And the last time I had it was when I was probably at school, essentially. And so um, I'm going to make a real effort to put that in the diary so that there's time for me to invest in creative stuff without just constantly, you know, going to meetings or filming something or whatever and making space because it's not unproductive time. I don't I'm not the sort of person that just sits around and does nothing. I get on with stuff. I'm, I'm always sort of trying new things out. I've got ideas and writing little scripts or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And um, and I'm really thankful for that. And, and, and it's been a real revelation. And it's something that I, um, I'm very, very grateful f- for um, a horrible thing. And my industry has been almost obliterated by, by the, the plague. But... Um, <laughs> As in the live scene. All of that is, you know, doesn't exist at the minute uh, or exists in a really sort of uh, thin way as in comparison to how it was. Yeah. And so uh, beyond all of that, I'm really thankful for the, the opportunity it's given me to uh, play with different ideas. You know, uh, it's that's me trying to find the good in what's been a, ultimately quite a rotten situation for yeah, yeah. M- most most people. But I do think there's a, there is a kind of you know like relentlessness to that life as a as a comic that i often observe you know and i've got lots of friends mutual friends and and like 
people in that industry who I think, oh, it's so lovely. There's such a kind of camaraderie and such a, a network of support and people really like holding each other yeah. up. At least that's how it feels um, as an observer. But it's re- it's relentless. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Edinburgh Festival, the first year mm. I went to the Edinburgh Festival, I think I did something like 100 shows in 30 days. Wow. And that's me doing... I mean, that's not full hour shows. I was just going up doing spots, but doing... Yeah three or four 10 minute spots wherever I could get one and I came back a much better comic and and it was it didn't feel like work at any point it was so exciting it was yeah. I felt so wanted I was like oh my god I'm doing like spots all over the place I'm being booked I'm not it felt brilliant but um you know when I was in my early 20s that was okay and now I'm a little old lady with a black <laughs> eye I can't can't be getting on with all of that nonsense these days and so did you notice did you know like when you were on that treadmill, because obviously everything, it feels like it took off, you know, and maybe that that Edinburgh that you're talking about was the was the start of that. But it's it's kind of, um, yeah, like snowballed. Do you feel like it took lockdown for you to realise that you were in this cycle of always doing rather than having little periods of, of rest that's and valuing those periods? I think it, uh, I I knew, but I think it made it very clear. Mm. Uh, There was definitely a feeling of like, oh, this is the Joe that was a teenager who just pissed about on the computer and made stupid animations and just wanted to make things. And he'd gone somewhere else. He was still around, but he, he was sort of trapped in this sort of celebrity's body, essentially, going... Oh, gosh, I must be on the television all of the time. I'm so uh, successful and busy. Oh, gosh, I must be busy all of the time. And people are asking me to do things and I must say yes. And um, and, uh, but a bit pre that, I knew that something had had to change um, because I was getting quite bad physical symptoms of anxiety, basically. So uh, and, and I know that is from just putting too much on my plate and I'm putting too much pressure on myself. And just that sort of slight feeling that I was not really going in the right direction in that, like, I'm a stand-up and I love making things and I love making jokes and I love... uh, I'm selfish as a creative. I like making it to my own um, brief and I want to do exactly what I want to do. But I've also been brought up very well and so I'm not a, a confrontational person. I'm not someone that really kicks off about things. And so, um, you know, I've agreed to lots of things that maybe I probably shouldn't have because I was just trying to please the people around me rather than actually pleasing myself. So I'm really thankful for that, just essentially just that this situation has kind of gone, oh, well, if all of that goes, you're fine and actually probably slightly better than you were with all of it there. Because I, I was half joking on the set of Sony, we were having a slightly long day. And um, no, this was a full joke. It wasn't a half joke. I definitely wasn't going to do it. But like one of the cameraman, uh, cameramen who I adore. And I, and I said, I said, I could just tweet something like just an apology for my appalling crimes. Don't be, you know, just slightly vague. Just press tweet and we'd all be going home. It would, just, it would all be over and we could all, we could all just get on with our lives. I'm so sorry. I'm going to learn to live, uh, to, to improve. I'm taking some time out to just do that and just vanish. (laughs) 
first thing that I filmed off the back of lockdown, what was a relatively normal day felt like an assault when, you know, you've mm-hmm. been kind of getting up at your own pace and you've, you're not looking around and you're not no. feeling the pressure of everybody doing while you're, you know, on holidays or taking time out. It was like, oh, just a relief across the board. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing is that when you take time off, I think freelancers in all different walks of life have this. You get that feeling of guilt. You think, oh, I should really be working. I should do this, should do that. We don't get holiday pay. We don't get all of those perks that you get when you're an employee. But also as creatives, we want to be feeling like we're making stuff and doing things. Yeah. And um, I think when all of the opportunities to actually do things are gone, that guilt is gone as well because you can't do it. So it's not like, oh... I've taken this week off and actually I could just hop on the train and go and do that little gig or whatever. Can't do it. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think that that was the freeing thing of it is that, oh, and need, need to remember that is that, you know, when you're taking time off, there's no, there shouldn't be any guilt involved. It is an important part of the creative process to have that kind of dead space where your brain kicks into, what are we going to do? Totally. And it's funny. So one of my very good friends, she's an uh, an actor and a writer and she's married to a rugby player. And she said, I think in the kind of arts, there is a, a tendency to want to keep going, keep going because you'll be replaced really quickly or something. She says mm. that her husband taught her. She was just, he was just bemused and confused by her inability to rest or the, the lack of importance that she placed on rest. And he said, yeah. as a sports person, as an athlete, my like rest and recovery is as important to my job and performance as my hardcore training in the run-up to a match or a season. And yes. I think you know, as someone who's productive and wants to please, knowing that your rest can make you better in the job is a real good motivator, you know, not just, oh, you really should do this because it's good for your head. It's like, actually, it makes everything, you know, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, and and, and I I kind of knew this, but I didn't put it into practice. Although there's a guy, Tim Ferriss, who I sometimes listen to, and he talks about, I can't remember the actual phrase he has around it, but it's like we are in this kind of uh, habit, like collectively of like working, 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 and then retiring Mm. when you kind of, a lot of your faculties have failed a little bit and you're not necessarily able to do or enjoy all of the things that you could have done. And so he does this like mini retirement. So does three months a year where he's essentially like, on a long holidays, obviously yes. wildly privileged place to be, but like actually that approach of going, you do not need to like just, you know, produce, 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 and then fall of over course. when you retire. Yeah. You know, I quite like that. I, I really like that. Mm. And yeah, it is a privileged place to be. Yeah. But but also it's not in that I, I had more time off when I was working selling ice creams in the theatre yeah. than, I, than I do as a, comedian Mm. or have done recently in that I knew exactly when my hours were and then that time off I was off whereas in your time off as a creative when you're working on projects you're not on the camera the whole time you know not in doing stuff in vision the whole time yeah but it's scripts or emails or all of these other things and you're still working you're not shut off and then um so 
so it, it is a it, i'm not denying i've inc- i've lived a incredibly blessed life but as as, as someone who's observing myself going through it mm-hmm. going oh okay so if you only uh spend your time jumping between tv shows that are high pressured anyway and trying to uh, make them all as good as you possibly can and being kind of long days and being pulled around in different directions yeah. and if you only do that you go a bit mad of course you do like that is that's what happens and you sort of lose you lose something of yourself as well it's you start to become i started to sort of observe myself being a tv presenter rather than a an artist or a creative or yeah. someone that makes things and has something to say mm. suddenly it's just like fill this void with words because yeah. you're on you're on telly i've just been um liaising with a print studio in birmingham i'm, I'm gonna make a, a a limited run of some of my art which i've thought about doing on and off over the last couple of years but never quite known how to do it never quite sure and i just thought actually i'm just going to go for it and who knows but people it might people might hate it whatever but it's something totally separate to the comedy thing mm-hmm. but actually is uh something that i adore and love doing and so i've put a bit of time and a bit of i've really enjoyed the print process and I, there's a print room in Manchester University that I used to spend a lot of time in when I was at university there just making little stickers and stupid things like that and I love print and I love design and I love um, that side of things and again like getting into it again after mm-hmm. sort of 10 years or so it's been just so exciting so um, so thrilling um, so but, it, but it feeds but it feeds into everything else because I, I use my art in my stand up and everything so it's not okay. like oh this is over here it's like everything talks to one another and I think having more than one creative uh, endeavor it some might say makes you kind of master of none you know jack of all trades I don't agree I think I think it makes me master of all of the fuckers yes (laughs) and minted too yes yes I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the art thing is like, um, there's a kind of purity to it now because you're like exploring it. It, it was for yourself and it's kind of grown out of interest yeah. and whatever else. Yes. There's no pressure on that. Totally. No, obviously now you're, you're a stand-up. People know you, you're expected to be funny and when you're not, like, it's not great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But Gosh, I, we've all, I've been there. <laughs> um, but like the idea, it's kind of giving yourself permission to be a to be a child and to explore and to create with no conditions, with no expectations. Yeah, totally. Well, one of the things we did on Sewing Bee this time around is we had a, a couple of celeb specials. Yeah. And one of the challenges we do on Sewing Bee is the transformation challenge where uh, they're given one item and they have to turn it into another it could be there's like a rail of men's shirts and they have to turn it into a a, a woman's evening gown or okay. something and they only have 90 minutes to do it and they basically just have to make a decision and go for it and it's my absolute favorite thing watching people because it's play yeah. it's kids pissing about with like oh i've got this and i can cut it up and yeah. just the joy of taking an, a garment and cutting into it like nobody you don't, don't normally do that and then 
repurposing it. And some of the stuff they create is absolutely amazing. The things that human the human mind can do in 90 minutes mm-hmm. when it's sort of narrowed into make this using this. It's like, oh, God, I've got to do it. And it's just fabulous. Yeah. And that is... I think what stand-up was early on, it was play. It was like, use language and turn it into something else. Use, put these elements in and create some stupid thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what I loved about it. And, uh, and, and I love about all creativity is it's essentially being a child and pissing about. And um, I think when you start to be paid for your creative work, you then naturally go, oh, right, well, I should be a bit more adult about this childishness. Yeah. And, and then actually, but then the child starts to go, oh, I'm, I'm over here and I want to just piss about and touch yeah. that. And yeah. People are drawn to you for that thing, for that childlikeness or your point of view or your, um, yeah, that like unedited creativity. And then you start to square up a little bit or you start to yeah, put yeah. yourself up a bit or or maybe put pressure on yourself because you're being paid for it now it's not you've you've got something yeah. to lose and I think that becomes quite paralyzing for a lot of people when you you know you're as you say pissing about for a while and you're like fuck it we'll see what happens and then yeah it happens and you're suddenly, yeah. you know, doing the things, being paid money for the things. And then you're like, how the fuck did I, this happen? And what am I actually doing? Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Is it like that kind of fear of, of what you could lose? Do you ever get that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, I really recommend Alan Watts. Um, is a, I think he was around in the 60s. He was a philosopher and he did lectures uh, and he was quite sort of um, wacky, packy, airy, fairy sort of stuff. But there's a, there's a lecture he did about death and how in Western society we've got a, a totally the wrong view of death and that we talk about it as if it's some awful thing and that we, sh- we should never die. And, but we know from nature that death facilitates life. And I know uh, that, you know, the reality of when you get to your deathbed, I imagine you're probably like, well... Fuck the young people. I don't <laughs> I want to stick around forever. But actually, you do get to a point in life where you're either trying to, uh, this, and this is what Alan Watts says, you're either trying uh, to, to survive or to uh, profit, essentially. So you're either trying to sort of like hold on to what you've got and just cling on to the thing or to sort of turn, turn it into sort of gain more and just absorb more. I did a thing last week, which I'm conflicted about. I've made peace with it, but I made peace with it at the time because I never make decisions based on, like, the bad, uh, wanting to do a bad thing. But now I feel like, mm, have I become the person I hate? I bought a Lexus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I bought a Lexus. I spent some of my telly money. Good basically. for you. Well, no, this no. is the thing. I feel like... I've got a perfectly nice Ford Fiesta. I, I was hired a Lexus for a job I did and I really liked it. And so I went for a test drive and I thought, Do you know, I'm going to buy a Lexus. Yeah. But um, essentially that's just another object that I'm really excited about having the Lexus because it's got all sorts of shiny things in it. And it, But I feel, I, you know, Alan Partridge drives a, a Lexus. I feel like a dickhead. I feel ugly about that because I'm not really... Why do you feel ugly about that? Because I could have spent that money on art stuff, or I could have, you know. There's, I feel. But what, I and know, why is I, that? Why is that? I mean, you know, to many petrol heads, the Lexus is a work of art. 
Yeah, th- no, thank you. Yes, no, I'm a, an art appreciator. I think there's a lot of um, shame around money and I think it depends on the language that was used when you were a kid not necessarily even in your house but I know where you'd be talking about oh he's a bit flashy up the road Mm. and you absorb all of those things and there's a a little bit of your subconscious that goes I hang on I've got a shiny car does that mean I'm unlovable I don't want to I don't want it to be um how to word this? I don't want to put too much onus on the Lexus. Yeah, okay. You know, it's just a thing. And if I lose the Lexus, I will survive. Yeah. But I think you get into a habit of, like, accumulating things. Mm. And I bought this house. I bought a Lexus. I bought things. I've got... And they, they belong to me, but that... Even my body doesn't belong to me forever. Like, the whole thing's borrowed. Yeah. And so I feel like that's the thing, that the older you get, you do just start to go like, well, I've got this career and I've got that job and I host the selling bee and I'm holding on to that and I'm holding on to everything. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to cling on. So I want to be grateful for these things Mm. and I want to be thankful, but I don't want to, like, be so thankful and grateful that it becomes an obsession that I... I talked to our mutual friend Ashling B about if I was to leave uh, other other jobs that I've done, yeah. to not see that as a um, quitting it, but to see it as giving it as a gift to the next person to do it, yeah. giving that space. And and I think that's how we should view our deaths, essentially. It's not, oh, this is the total eradication of me. It's like, oh, I'm giving some space and some uh, whatever, some... Um, Alexis. I'm giving <laughs> I'm, gi- I'm, gi- I'm giving Alexis to the universe. Yeah, yeah. But do you believe in in reincarnation? No, I don't think so. No. I think um I think it's all done, isn't it? Do you? Well, I, I think it, you, do you? I think it's you you're reincarnated um as a mushroom, you know, as a mushroom or, you know, little worms wriggling around in your bum hole or whatever it is. Okay. But um but I don't think I don't think there'll be me again. But do you think that, like, the, there's a that your soul will will go somewhere else? My guess is no. Oh really? Uh, I think I'm very interested in quantum physics. Oh, and, same. But I think when people talk about seeing ghosts or whatever, I'm fairly sceptical about all of that stuff. The only thing that I do think is that quantum is so mad, and there's so many. Uh, things going on around us that we don't really understand. Richard Feynman talks about this brilliantly. He's a, a, a physicist who was around in the 70s. And he talked about um, how there's a beetle in the swimming pool and you jump into the swimming pool and the waves that, are, that come, up, come off it hit this beetle and it's got little sort of antennae on it or whatever. And it can feel the waves hit it. And using the way the waves have hit it, it can work out the shape of the pool and where the person jumped in basically and essentially our human eye does the same waves come into it and they interpret the room around us and the things that we can see but there's a wave coming from the wall over there into my eye but there's also a wave coming from the wall over there across to the wall over there Mm -hmm. now I can't see that wave and I don't know that that wave's there but if I move my eye to it I can see that wall over there and I intercept that wave okay and 
there's that wave and then there's radio waves and uh, audio waves and infrared waves and all these different waves and they're all bouncing across and they're all, and he describes it like this, they're all really there. It's all happening around us. Yeah. And we've just got these little devices to kind of our eyes and our ears and everything else to, to make kind sense of understand of it. it, to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And we have such limited tools. We've got two eyes, we've got our ears and... And then the other senses, but they're brilliant tools and we've done very well with them. But quantum shows us that there's so much more going on in that. There's so, well, infrared, obviously we can't see, but there's just so much that just we don't really understand. So I do feel like when people say they in, felt like there was someone in the room or there was a ghost or whatever, that there maybe there are these other like potential senses or other bits of energy that intersect with our, with us don't fully understand what they are. We don't really know what they are, but they are real things and they, they do exist. And so that's the only part of me that feels like, oh, maybe the soul is um, is this sort of um, kind of energy that is, you know, the, 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 the seven grams or whatever that vanishes when you die and all of that stuff. But um, that's me kind of looking at trying to find a scientific way of explaining something that is... Um, probably you just die. <laughs> I, think, I think probably it's just over. <laughs> the thank you next. I feel kind of thank you next about a lot of the projects that I do. I'm, I'm quite impatient and I'm quite, um, I get bored of things quite quickly. Mm. And all of my stand-up shows I've been, really into them when I've been doing them and then when they're over there's this sort of feeling of like oh thank you that like thanks that it's gone um and so I am very thank you next with all of my stand-up shows but particularly the second one that I did in Edinburgh because um it was shit (laughs) it was a shit show there was a there was a general sort of sense of like oh well he's sold that hasn't he you oh. know that's that's and that's how I felt about it it's the classic second album thing mm. I'd worked incredibly hard over years to get that first show together all of the best stuff I'd got right. and then suddenly it's like do another one straight away on demand on demand didn't have enough time wasn't it wasn't good and um, my agent told me as such oh, after the first preview she was like this, we've got a problem here <gasps> and I was living with Ashling and Catherine Ryan that year yeah and um and actually I got away with it because I think that was the year I lived with Ashling. Ashling was really helpful because she was basically like you're really good at working in the room why don't you sort of create something that fills out the time that does you know so I, I created a little game with like cards and stuff so in the end, we did. Uh, I, I made a fun show, but it wasn't. I didn't wasn't saying anything that I uh, re- really believed in. That I hadn't really worked out what my message was there, and I've managed that in subsequent shows. And the last tour that I did, I was so proud of because it was a proper. I believed in what I was talking about. I had things to say. I was really like it involved art. It involved my views on LGBT rights. It involved all of this stuff, but it was light and fun and whatever. And you just get better as a writer. But I am very grateful for that second show because Roy Walker, the great stand-up and TV presenter, said to me that you don't learn to be funny when they're laughing. And I think I really got that from that second show, that there were periods where I was doing good performances of shit stuff 
and um and I learned to kind of what I needed to make a good show and what uh, was required and in terms of just in my own timing you know I a year to write a full hour of stand-up was not enough off the back of the rest period of the last one or whatever I need I need to live my life and I need to need things to happen why is there a big thank you my big thank you is to Dave and Helen Lysett really good eggs and uh, raised me incredibly well but not only that they've just been so there throughout all of it was mad to decide to be a stand-up that's a mad thing to do there was no friction there whatsoever but throughout all of you know I've told them stuff that I want to try more recently and they've gone cool yeah great you know how can we help well you know that sounds fun they're just so chill. And everyone that meets them, my neighbour here in Birmingham, Carol, she's got three boys. She's a brilliant, I mean, the way she's uh, responded in lockdown to sort of looking after three, two of whom are teenagers, boys, has just been amazing to watch. And she describes my parents as proper adults. And I'm thinking, well, if, <laughs> if you think you're not a proper adult, then what the fuck am I? I'm just some sort of pissing about. But they are like, they're proper grown-ups who are really reliable and dependable and good people. Mm. And um, I'm very, very fortunate that I had an upbringing with them and that they really steered me. And so the big thanks does go to them. And and uh, it's really wonderful watching them in retirement and... Um, Mum's artwork particularly is being really celebrated at the minute and people really love her stuff. You've shared her stuff a bit, haven't you, on Instagram? Yeah, uh, yeah. And she's got her own Instagram, Mama Lysit. And um, it's astonishing the stuff she does. She's She works in watercolour, which is not an easy medium. You have to... I work in acrylics because I fuck up all the time and then I just paint over it and you can do that in acrylic. But in watercolour, you have to kind of go, right this is exactly what I'm going to do. And you have to have the kind of... the You commit, but you also have to have the spontaneity to get the beautiful strokes and the shape of the thing, but you can't fuck it up. And she does these incredible... Can't fix it. And you've got these incredible portraits that are really true to the person that she's painting. And it's watercolour. I mean, it's just amazing what she does. And so was she always very creative when you were growing up? Not in that way. I mean, she was, she worked creatively. So she had a, my experience, I suppose, of the working world in a different way because she worked as a graphic designer okay. for Cadbury. Oh, wow. And so all of, all of her creative stuff went into her work and into her day. And when she came back, she gardened a lot. That was her sort of solace. But um, she, she didn't paint that much when we were growing up because she didn't have time. She was, you know. Yeah. Raising, raising me and my sister, so mm. not a lot of that space. But and then Dad is well, he's been doing wood carving, uh, not wood carving. Um, what do you call them? Where, uh, they're prints where you kind of cut into sort of the. Rubber oh, li- not lithograph. Litho. Yes. Is it lithograph? Yeah. I remember doing them in art Something class. Like I loved. So it's like a lino square, and you draw a thing. Lino cuts. <gasps> lino cuts. Oh, I love. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay, amazing. So, so he's been doing a lot of that, and but also working on this car that um, uh, he had as a as a youngster. Oh, uh, He's been he's pulled it apart and rebuilt it, and hopefully that will be roadworthy soon, just in time for them to probably ban them uh, for the, <laughs> but um. He's just, you know, they've both thrown themselves into 
whereas both of them really worked hard and loved their work, they've really loved not working mm. and they live happy lives. I love that. But also um, quite fearless. It's funny. So uh, my husband recently has um, st- started Krav Maga and I read this book. It's called A Return to Love and it's by a woman called Marianne Williamson. It gets a lot of love on this podcast. Anyway, she was talking about the the kind of act of learning and how we often are so afraid of being shit at things that we don't even allow ourselves um, to learn. And I think the older you get, the more embarrassed you feel at taking something up and being awful at it so I think that's it's quite a fearless approach to be like I'm just going to do art obviously your mum's really good at that but like to just kind of try your hand at yeah she's got way better she started and she was you know she was she's got a natural talent but the finesse and the skill and the eye is really come through but yeah I think I, I love that, what you just said, because I think that's really important. I think there's a lot of reluctance to accept um, or to try new things. And I'm so, like, engaged in trying new things as um, out, out, out of lockdown. I'm like, this is... I, I haven't got time to waste anymore. I've got to fucking do all this shit. But I do just feel like all of those things that you felt like, oh, I'd like to give it a go. Right now is the, is the time to do it. As my dad would say, you could be dead tomorrow. <laughs> you could, yeah. yeah. I think maybe it might be something of like seeing, I mean, obviously lots of people dying uh, on the news and hearing about all these deaths, but one of my best friends died at the start of lockdown. And I wonder, do wonder whether that sort of, that that experience kind of has, has been part of the jolt of going like, oh, fuck, like, that could happen. Because he was fine a year ago and now he's, you know, now he's dead. So um, I think there is a real sense at the minute in me of like, here we go, let's... I want to, you know, not going like, oh, it would be, be nice to try that. Nah, fucking try it, <laughs> go for it. And it probably will be a bit shit, but so what? You've tried it and you've got something to show for it. And I do think um, like that's slightly been muddied by this idea and, and fixation on a side hustle on, you know, every little thing that you like should be an extra revenue stream. And, you know, if I'm like writing poetry, it's because I'm going to self-publish a book and sell it through Instagram. And it's like, no, just write a fucking poem on a napkin and like put it in a bin if you yeah. want to afterwards. But it's the doing yeah. of the thing rather than the like we're kind of almost thinking about what how we sell it before we, you know, do it, which is the opposite. And actually the most valuable thing to you creatively will probably be the thing that you don't sell. It's you the, never sell. The thing you keep keep for yourself and uh, I don't know. Yeah. But that might be non- nonsense as well because jokes, jokes bought this. All of this, jokes. Okay, the gift that you're most grateful for. Now this could be Ideally, it would be, we're nearly there. Ideally, it would be like a filthy, um, frivolous thing. So like Sarah Millican gave me a car. Shut up. Yeah. Why? When I was starting out, she, she was getting a new car and she's like, 
I'm not going to sell this car. You know you have to now give your Ford Fiesta to an up-and-coming comedian. Well, that's my plan. Full circle. It's not an up-and-coming comedian, but it's a tour manager who I think would benefit from it. So I've offered it. Well done. There's some discussion about whether they actually want it or not. (laughs) Wow, burn. If not, then I'll find an up-and-coming comedian. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, she, she gifted me a car. I basically was deciding between staying in Manchester where I was living, paying rent or going home to Birmingham and learning to drive. And I decided on that one. Mm. And Sarah knew that I, that was kind of what I was doing. And she had this car and she's like, do you want to have this car? And I was like, yeah. But not only did she just give me the car, she like got it serviced, cleaned. It was like beautifully like pristine. Um and it was a real lifesaver. She then told a story on Would I Lie to You about a year later that she'd pissed in the passenger seat, which <laughs> she hadn't told me when she gave it to me, but <laughs> nice to know at some point. So there was um, a reason why she got it cleaned before she handed it over. I'm glad she got it thoroughly cleaned. So that was like an, oh, that's an obvious gift. I mean, but it's also not that normal. So it's a good one. Noel Fielding gave me a chair that I love. I've got upstairs, which has got David Bowie on it. Nice. That's nice. Oh, I've literally just realised what it is. Go on. And I can show it to you now. Who? What has Bruce Springsteen given you? Be- better than Bruce Springsteen. Go on. I've talked about I've talked about this elsewhere, but I painted Paul Chuckle. Oh <gasps> yes. And he said he messaged me. I've not met him at this point. And he said, "If you send me the painting you've done of me." I'll do one of you. And there is Paul Chuckle. Wow. The portrait of old He's... Joe Lysett. Oh, my. It's so lovely. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it says Ch- Chuckle. Oh, he signed it Chuckle. That is so cute. So that's in my living room. I love oh, and there's a note there. I forgot that there was the note. Oh. I don't know what the note says. Were you a Chuckle Brothers fan? Huge Chuckle oh, Brothers wow. fan. Oh, Okay. Hi, mate. You don't have to keep the frame. Just thought it looked better framed. Trust you're keeping well. Cheers, Paul. That oh, and then P.S. Carrier bags to try to protect the glass. Fingers crossed it worked because it just was covered in carrier bags. <laughs> like all these like supermarket carrier bags that to keep it. the sweetest thing. It's so, so that is a great gift. I've, yeah, there's lots of things like that. That, that is, lo- so they're all, they're sentimental. They're like, yeah. yeah. So it's not like a Rolex. Yeah, you're not that guy. Alan Watts has taught you to be not that guy. No, I don't think anyone's given me a Rolex before. No. No. I've been, I've been gifted a painting by Paul Chuckle and a Nissan Micra by Sarah Millican. And I'm happy with both of those. And a Bowie chair by Noel Fielding. Yeah, and I feel like there might be another list of, of things. Well, I need to send you something. Oh, God, there's loads. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Send me, yeah, I just want weird gifts from celebs. I need to Art, know. if you, if you send me some art, yeah. I'll do an art swap. I'd love to send you some okay. art. Okay, oh, my God. That means I have to create something. But I actually have been thinking about that for a long time. Maybe I'll write you a poem. Beautiful. Yeah. Great. Oh, I can hear my daughter. Mama, hello, honey. Hi, buddy. Hello. Oh, you're going to love this, Joe. Come here. Come here. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. Uh, <laughs> hello. Is there a cat on my screen? It looks like there's a cat here. Where's the cat? What did the cat say? Meow. <laughs> That's exactly what cats say. Hello. 
Hi, you can't, can you hear me because it's Hi, in the headphones? Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, one of us is pink. And... Hi. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I got, I got. Chat to him. What, what, are, you th- are, you doing? what are you thankful for? I don't think I'm your... Um, if I'm your father, something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> Is what, that daddy? Um, what what do you have for dinner? She peeked with her entrance. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You're so cute. I actually can't cope. My ovaries are about to explode. We're going to pop these back on. Can I Give me a kiss. Dad? Say bye-bye, Joe. Hello. Bye, Joe. <laughs> She's brilliant. She's so brilliant. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye, friend. Bye, friend. Thank you so much to Joe and to Rubes there for a little cameo. As ever, if this has sparked some ideas about what you're thankful for, I would love to hear about it. So please drop me a line using the hashtag thanksamilliontrio at Angela Scanlon via Instagram or Twitter. Joe can also be found on Instagram and Twitter at Joe Lysett. And his mother, Helen's beautiful artwork, can also be found at Mama Lysett. We are going to be releasing new episodes every week and you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or you know wherever and you can go get lost in some of the previous episodes if you haven't already explored those and if you're loving the show please do write us a review and on that note thanks a million Side note, I have launched a newsletter because, you know, what else have I to be doing? You can go find it via my Instagram and I share things that I've been listening to and reading and watching, uh, some little recipes in there. Loads of random shit, really. But I think you're going to like it.